Jump into Ephesians. That's where we were at last week, and I want to just jump in here real quick. Um, if you weren't here last week, we talked about the five graces of ministry that are like uh, that are the graces that Jesus gives us through salvation, corporately and individually, um, to give us a glimpse of what the Lord wants us to walk in as a church. So when I talk about apostolic or prophetic or teaching, um, or uh, shepherding, any of those evangelism, those types of things, they're graces that the Lord gives each one of us individually and also corporately to encounter the presence of God. So like, like if the Lord gives me a shepherding grace, I am, it's, I'm designed to go shepherd other people, to give that away and encourage them. If, I, if the Lord gives me an evangelical grace, then I want to lead people into a saving knowledge of Jesus. And I partner with the Lord to do that. And that's how when, when everyone is operating under those graces, the church corporately is being built up. We need each other to survive. We're not designed to do this on our own. So, so we have to have that, right? So he's giving us a glimpse at what the, the Big C Church, not Hope City, but the Big C Church should look like. Now, because of the presence of, of God's Spirit in each one of us, there is an atmosphere of authentic community that is embedded into your DNA. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in you, it is in your spiritual DNA to desire authentic community. You want to be together. It's the reason why when you read Acts and you, said, and you see they had everything in common and all that kind of stuff, like there's something that resonates. Like, man, we should do that. <laughs> you know, we should sell everything and like live together. It'd be awesome. Who's in, who's in with me? Yes. It, there's, just, there's something that resonates with this authentic community because it's buried within us. The spirit pushes us to oneness. He pushes us to oneness. Sometimes that's awesome, and sometimes it's not fun at all, okay? I'll just be honest. Sometimes it's really messy. A unified community, hear this, begins with a unified life. Before we can ever go down the road of a unified community, we have to first understand that our life must be, we must receive unity from the Lord within our own self. Have you ever noticed that maybe um, in, there are places in your life that are incongruent with what we read in Scripture? Like, like Paul, he was, he was the master of lists. You know, whenever he wrote uh, an apostolic letter to, to any of the churches or whatever, he would always write these lists of like things that were good and things that were bad, you know, adultery, slander, hatred, anger, and, you know, love and joy and so on and so forth. And, and, and I, I remember reading those things and being like, man, some of that stuff, yep, I, I'm, I can see that in my life. And others, I'm like, dang, ugh, that's not me. Are there places in your life that, that are incongruent? Because the, the thing is, is what's happening is God's spirit is, is, is elevating. He's exposing those incongruencies because who is going to build the church up in you? Jesus, not you. He doesn't expose that to go get your act together. Quit being a dirty, rotten sinner, okay? He exposes it so that the spirit can minister to you in that place. He wants to bring unity within yourself to get rid of the incongruencies. 
That's what he does. So in Ephesians 4, let's look at... Um, I probably should turn there. That'd be a good idea. There we are. Um, Ephesians 4, let's look at uh, 17. Let's start right there. So he says... Um, now, I, I say and testify in the Lord that you must uh, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay, so here's the picture, okay? Um, Gentiles in this particular concept or uh, context means people who don't know the Lord, And so if they don't know the Lord, what has happened is they have not allowed their heart to to be opened to the presence of God. And so because they're not allowing God to speak into their heart, what happens is they are ignorant. The root of the word ignorant is to ignore. It literally means God's presence is all about this place, He's everywhere in this community, but the people that don't know him are ignoring the presence of God. They are ignorant to the presence. They have a futile mind, which means it's not fruitful. It means that, now listen, now I know you're probably looking at your spouse and thinking, there's not a whole lot of fruit up in there. <laughs> Maybe cobwebs and whatever, but no, it, it, means that, like, like, it means their mind literally is like empty. There's no, there's no fruit. where their thought processes, where their belief systems are created, those kind of things, or where their belief systems are running, they're they're empty. It says they're darkened in their understanding, so so they can't even comprehend um, things of God and all of that kind of stuff due to their hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. You see, I think the reality is is that, that like... Some of us, like, we, we have a heart um, that's like concrete. You know how um, whenever, uh, if you see like a walkway, a concrete walkway, and, and there's like a, a crack in the, in the concrete, it blows my mind how like grass will spring up from the concrete. And, and, and what happens is... The Lord is constantly drawing all men to himself. He said that in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I'm drawing all men to myself. So what's happening is even in people who have a hard heart, the Lord is constantly drawing them to himself. And all of a sudden, in the concrete, boop, this little sprig shows up. And they go, oh, how'd that get there? What is that? That feels weird. I, I don't know about this, you know, thing here. But they have a hard heart. And in the next verse, it says they become callous. They've given themselves over to sensuality, greedy, practice every kind of impurity. That, that, that This hardness that has been created within them, it keeps the Lord from speaking. Not that he's not speaking, but they choose to not listen so listen to this, in, in Psalm 97.2, it's not going to be on the screen because I, I, uh, I pulled this up this morning, but in Psalm 97.2, it says, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Did you know that God exists in clouds and thick darkness? <laughs> I always thought it was like light and little baby cherubim, you know, naked little butts and their little, 
Like, y'all seen that in those pictures, right? Like, uh, I was a, a, a picture of heaven, you know what I mean? Like, I know that's not even close to true. But anyway, um, but, but it says that God exists in a cloud and thick darkness. It says righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Do you know why he exists in darkness? Because people who don't understand righteousness and justice, it's just dark. It's darkness. Why? Because their heart is hard. And they are choosing to ignore justice and righteousness. And therefore, when we talk about the things of God, it seems dark <laughs> and confusing. Um, like I said, it says they've become callous. They've given themselves over to sensuality, greedy, to practice uh, every kind of impurity. So if you notice any of these issues popping up in your life, like, like just take a minute in, in that and like let that sit there for a minute. Is there, is there an area of my life where I feel like callous, um, hard, uh, like sensuality, greed, um, impurity? Is there, is there anything like that that's going on in my life? Chances are there is a hard spot on your heart. Like maybe you've given the Lord 90% of your life, but there's this one thing. (laughs) Or maybe there's this one area that's incongruent when you read those lists and you go, man, yeah, okay, so, yep, I've I've got uh, um, uh, sensuality, no, greed, no, um, but impurity, hmm, there's there's definitely a place where I know that I'm not as pure as I should be. Maybe you've got a hard spot on your heart. Jesus intends to remind you that you're set free from that mess. Who builds the church? Jesus builds the church. Who wants to destroy that hard spot? Jesus wants to destroy that hard spot. You can't do it. You can't break it down. But the Lord can. And he will if we allow him. The thing that blows my mind, in, um, in, in Psalm 97.10, listen to this, it says, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. You see, one of the things that I think this, that has happened in, in our church culture, and I'm not, I'm not meaning to Hope City, I mean like church culture as a whole, um, and, and, and specifically in the church in America, is, is we have become okay with tolerating sin. And what this passage tells us is that if we are to love the Lord and we are to love the things of the Lord and we want to desire his presence, then we must equally hate anything that keeps us from that love. Anything that keeps us from that love. Jesus told his disciples in the gospels, he said, you can't serve two masters. He was talking about money in that context, but, but he said, you can't serve two masters. You either love one or hate the other. We cannot truly be okay with sin that is separating us from God and yet continue to walk in an absolute love relationship with him. We have to hate our sin as much as we love our God. Jesus told his disciples, if your eye causes you to sin, what do you do? Pluck that sucker out. 
He says, if your hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. That's graphic. Just, I know that's kind of gross and rated R a little bit, but like, get that picture in your mind. Taking your hand and ripping your eyeball out. <laughs> like, taking a saw blade and <laughs> like cutting your arm off, right? That is gruesome. That is nasty. Jesus did not say, if your hand causes you to sin, break your arm. If your hand causes you to sin, slap it real hard. Spank that arm. Don't do that arm. If your eye's causing you to sin, wear dark glasses or an eye patch. No. It's graphic for a reason because he wants us to understand that there is an enemy that exists and he is real and he wants to ensnare you and keep you from encountering this love relationship that he wants to wash over you in its fullness. Now, I don't like to talk about the enemy a whole lot because I don't like to give him credit. But here's the thing, all right? This is the picture. Think about this. Because when I first, like, started thinking this way, it, it makes me mad, okay? I'll just be honest. So there's the enemy and his minions. Their goal is as you walk around in your life, the path of your life with the Lord as a follower of Jesus, the enemy strategically lays traps all around your life, all around the path of your life. And he wants you to fall in that mess. Some of it, sometimes it's a sin, an addiction. Sometimes it's a, just a misstep. Sometimes it's a, I mean, sometimes it's really big. Sometimes it's not that big. Like, but he wants you to fail, He wants you to miss the mark. And just like in the story of Adam and Eve, he's going, hey, hey, you should do that. That's a good idea. You should take that thing. You should do that thing. Whatever it is, it's good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable to make one wise, right? He does anything he can do. He says anything he can say to make you think this is a good idea. And then when you fail, he goes, you sorry son of a gun. I... I thought you were a Christian. You're not a you, How could a Christian do that? How could a Christian fail like you failed? The one who laid the trap comes around on the other side and is the one that condemns, makes us feel shameful for the things that we've done, makes us feel like it is our mess, like it makes it, it it's like, like it's a part of us. Who builds the church? Jesus builds the church. You as an inhabitable place, dwelling place for the Spirit of God, you are pure and holy. Everything about you is pure and holy. But when our flesh rises up, the enemy wants to make us think that when we fail, that it is ours. He wants us to own it like it's me, it's who I am. You know that's not who you are. Scripture says you're a new creation. So when I realized that in my life that there are, there are spiritual battles that are happening every day, traps that are being laid, designed to make me fail, and when I fail, I begin to feel shameful about it and all that kind of stuff, that ticked me off because I realized that there's an enemy and he wants to take from me. And when I realized that he wants to take from me, 
all of a sudden my love for the Lord began to increase. And my hate for anything that takes me from that love, from encountering the fullness of that love, It's not that God loves me any less. Don't hear me say that. God doesn't remove his love. But I remove myself from the awareness of his love. He loves me the same. But my ability to receive it gets less and less the harder my heart gets. And I don't want that. And then I get mad. (laughs) Because then I realize I want to take that enemy and I want to put my foot on his neck. That sorry son of a gun. I cannot believe that he is doing that to people in our community. It is our job. It is our driving passion to help people fall desperately, madly in love with a creator that loves them unconditionally so that they will equally hate anything that separates them from that love. Amen? He goes on, he says this, that's not the way you learn Christ. In Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verse 20, he tells the Ephesians church, you you didn't learn Christ Christ that way, the the hardness of heart and keeping things to yourself and all that kind of stuff. He said, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, is in Jesus, he builds up the church. He He tells us to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desire. So watch this. Okay, so the picture is putting something off means we actually have to do something. I have to go to the Lord as he draws me, even if my heart's concrete. When that little sprig pops up, did you know that the Lord will plow that concrete? He'll do it. He'll make it a heart of gold, soil, till, ready to have a garden of fruit overflowing in your heart. All right, But when, when that little sprig pops up, if we take that and we take this stone heart to God, we take the mess of our life, our addictions, our sins, our habits, our struggles, and we go, God, here it is. That's putting off of your old self. You actually have to give that to him like a, like a, like a sacrifice. God, here's my life. It is a mess. I am a, I am a joke, right? I am screwed up. God, please, will you do something? When we put off our old self, what he does is he exchanges it with a new person, a new self. And with that old self, it's corrupt, which means it's wasting away. What the enemy wants you to think as a follower of Jesus who should be walking in new self is that you are wasting away. You're dying. Now in the flesh, we are, right? We all know that. We got aches and pains and all that fun stuff. But he wants us to think that our spirit, our soul, the very essence of the fingerprint of who we are is dying. We're corrupting. It also says to deceitful desires. Once again, he's laying traps. He's laying traps to get us to fall into it. What a sneaky son of a gun. And he says that we are to put on Uh, It says that we should be renewed first before we put on. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, we were created in the likeness of God in the original design. In Genesis 1, 26, 27, when God created the earth, he said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So humanity bears the image of God now. Now the fall, the sin that's in our life, the 
the finiteness of sin and the infiniteness of God that exists in you, the finiteness of sin eclipses that infinite picture. It's covering that infiniteness of God in you. How do I know that you have God in you? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you did not have the essence of the likeness of God in you, you would cease to exist. All things have their being in him and through him. It's scriptural. So every single person walking the face of the planet is a potential son and daughter bearing the image of God Almighty. That's why we witness, that's why we evangelize, that's why we run after people. And, and so it says that we need to put on this new self, that we need to be renewed. The word renewed means literally that we get continual breakthrough. It's like a continual reminder that, oh, you thought you were stuck on that? No, you're not stuck. Boom, I'm gonna knock that wall in. Oh, you struggle with this? Watch me. Boom, I'm gonna knock that out too. Oh, you're struggling with debt. You're struggling with sin. You're struggling with this, whatever. I'll give you battle tactics to get out. I'll set you free. I'll continue to equip you, to remind you. Every day is an opportunity for new breakthrough as we walk in faith and say, God, please give me this renewed in the spirit of our mind. Spirit is the motivator, the spirit of our mind, which is where our belief system begins to take shape. It's what fleshes out and and where our belief system becomes concrete. So what happens in our life is we begin by a measure of faith. God in you and God in me draws himself out. That's the picture that I have is literally God there calling, drawing the God in me. The nature of who he is is calling out and that little sprig pops up and I go, oh man, I'm resonant. That's, that's, I need Jesus. Like that's why people get saved. And so what's happening is that measure of faith that he gives us, the design is for that to become a belief system. Like, like for instance, the first time I've read in, the, in, in scriptures all over the place where people get healed, right? And, and where like dis, disciples and people would, would, would touch people and, and they would get healed. Now, I read about Jesus too doing that, but Jesus said to the disciples, you go do that. Cast out demons, heal the sick, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. And so faith begins to tell me that if I have the same spirit, the same anointing, that I have the same equipment. I have the same spiritual equipment. And so I go and pray over somebody and God heals them. Not me. <laughs> this is not your show. It's not my show. This isn't, oh, look, check this out. Watch this little magic trick. I'm a circus monkey doing my thing. Boom. No, this is God himself imparting the nature of the kingdom, which in the kingdom, there's no sickness, no, no struggle, no pain, no whatever. So the, the nature of the kingdom is coming down to the planet earth. And when we pray over someone and they get healed, all of a sudden that faith that I had to heal them becomes a belief system. It only took one time for that to become a belief system. Does he heal? Well, sure he does. I have actual physical proof that he does. Does he do these things that we read about in the scripture or are they just dusty old pages of cool stories? Are they Greek and uh, Roman mythology? No, they're actually real stories that have occurred that faith becomes an absolute belief system. Um, it goes on. Sorry, I messed my iPad up here. There we go. It goes on, um, and it says, uh, 
that we are to put on the new self. Okay, so here's the picture of putting on the new self. Okay, so taking off was an action that we did, right? We're bringing that to the altar and saying, God, take this. Putting on, here's the picture. Whenever warriors would go to war, they had someone called an armor bearer who had their armor. And so the warrior would literally stand there more or less with not much clothes on. (laughs) Um, Naked, if you will, all right? So they stand there and they didn't, dress themselves for battle. The armor bearer dressed themselves for battle. So in Ephesians 6, when it talks about the the armor of God, who puts on the breastplate of righteousness? Holy Spirit. Who puts on the helmet of salvation? Holy Spirit. Who reminds you that you're righteous, that you're in right standing with God when you've screwed up? Who reminds you that breastplate's on you? Holy Spirit does. Who reminds you when your mind is all over the place? He says, think saved. You're saved. Like, don't, don't miss the mark. You're assured of your salvation. The, the helmet of salvation is what keeps you there. The Holy Spirit clothes you. So put on is literally a picture of you standing there vulnerable. Vulnerable. Hey, God, I know that you're wanting to renew me. I'm taking off my old self and I'm laying here and I'm bare. And, and, and you, will you clothe me with a new thing? Remind me of my new identity. In, uh, in the Genesis account um, with Adam and Eve, before they, they sinned, it says that they were naked and unashamed. Literally, the picture of our original design is to be exposed before God and unashamed, not ashamed of anything. We should not want to hide from God, right? Sin is what alienates us and makes us want to hide. So the picture is God equip me, but I have to bear myself to you first. Because if I won't bear myself, you can't equip me. That's powerful as we let the Lord put on in our life. So um, we're going to bring the, uh, the Holy Spirit through some keys. Did y'all know whenever music starts playing, that's where the Holy Spirit goes, okay, I'm going to come in now. That's what's going to happen. Everybody's going to cry. We're going to hug it out. It's going to be awesome. Um, so... Uh, jumping back in the Caesarea Philippi story, Jesus is there with his disciples. He said, I'm going to build my church, right? Jesus builds the church. If we don't understand that principle, then everything that I just talked about becomes a work that we try to do, <laughs> right? Oh, I got to destroy my old self. I got to do this new thing. I got to put on these new glasses. I got to see a new way. I got to, you know, so on. I got to read these lists and not give in to this and do that. No, no, no. God himself, Jesus builds you. He creates this in you. He gives you the desire to do it. He gives you the motivation. He empowers you. You don't do a thing, but receive it from him. Receive it from him. He says, at Caesarea Philippi, he says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Caesarea Philippi, like I said, it was a really messy place. All kinds of debauchery and sin and stuff going on. And it was at the base of Mount Hermon, which is the, one of the tallest, I think it's the tallest peak in Israel. And, and from time to time, there's snow at the top of the mountain. And whenever it would snow or rain, um, so like there's this huge cave at the base of the mountain. And that's where Caesarea Philippi is. 
um, and the ruins of it are now. And there used to be this huge temple inside that cave. And the reason why they built a temple there to the god Pan, which is the god of chaos and debauchery and all that kind of fun stuff, whatever, there was this, in the, in the cave, there's this huge crack in the middle of the cave. I'm ta- I mean, it's humongous. And what would happen is the snow and the, the runoff and all that kind of stuff would come down the mountain. And we know this now because we have science and all that fun stuff. But, uh, you know, the core of the earth is warmer. So as the, as the water trickles down into the very innards of the mountain, it would create steam. And steam would come out of the crack in that cave. And so people that lived around that area literally thought that that crack was the gate to hell. And that when steam came out, demons people from the grave were coming out. So they built a temple to the God of chaos and debauchery and all that stuff right there at the gate of hell. Jesus walked for like three or four days to take his disciples all the way up to Caesarea Philippi to have this conversation to say, I will build my church and the gates of hell can't stand against it. They're literally seeing what at that time was considered the gate of hell. And he said, all that right there, nothing in comparison to what I bring. You are more than conquerors through him. You are more than conquerors. He said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Keys are a symbol of something that you can open and shut. You have the ability. The original plan of humanity in the Genesis account before the fall was fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. We were created by God to dominate this planet, to have dominion, to fill the earth with his fruit, his creativity. That's what our original design is. And the enemy has come in like a snake in the grass and taken it from us. And he says, I'm going to send Jesus because the enemy took the keys at our fall. I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to live a perfect sinless life. If you receive him, I'll give you the keys back. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, whatever you open and shut. The word bind literally means to, like, like to take something that's in pieces and put it together, right? So one of the things that we should be empowered to bind in this place is broken lives. When we come to people, just like Jesus, in, when he read the prophecy of Isaiah standing in the temple, he said, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. Guys, when your heart's broken, he'll bind you up through the empowering of his word through the promises of his word. Whenever you feel broken and shattered and your life is in a million pieces, go to the promise. Start in Psalms. It's a great place to start. And start reading the heart of the Father for your situation. He'll bind you up. When you find somebody that's in a million pieces, take the word of the Lord and encourage them. Bind them up. You've been given the ability, the empowering to dominate the enemy. Develop a hatred for anything that is separating people from the love of God and it will drive you to bind up the brokenhearted. When you see somebody trapped in an addiction, you know what you do? You bind up the enemy to the promises of God. Hey, enemy, you have no place here. You cannot stand. In fact, as a follower of Jesus, this person is victorious. 
And one day, enemy, we're all going to stand on your throat. What a wonderful, stinking day that's going to be. I picture, amen. In Romans 16, it says, The God of peace will crush Satan, and he will crush the enemy underneath your feet. The picture is God smashing the enemy and holding him down and saying, Hey, Brent, come here. I need your foot for a second. Step right there. That's a powerful statement. Bind the enemy to the promises of the Father. He has no hold here anymore. He took the keys away. And then we get to loose things. Loosing is this idea that we're taking something from heaven and we're loosing it down here. That's why we pray for the sick. It's why we we ask for cancer to be removed. It's why we ask for people to to get out of debt and get free from these things and so on and so forth because we believe that in the principles of the kingdom, what exists up there, we are literally taking them and loosing them. The word loose, the original word, the root, the primary root word of loose is the word redeem. Redeem means to buy something back. So what God created originally perfect, he has empowered us to go buy back from the enemy. Has the enemy stolen your marriage? Go buy it back with the power of what you can loose through his word. Our job, our, 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 our work life, our families, our marriages, we are literally called to buy back the things that he intended for us to walk in perfection and holiness. That's what we're empowered to do, guys. It's a wonderful call. It's a call to fight. It's a call to stand. It's a call to be encouraged that we're not just sitting here going, oh man, I just hope Jesus will return one day. We're not just waiting on him to come back. We're called to take ground here, friends. And so my prayer for every one of us is that if we will get that concept as a church, man, we'll take this community by storm. Ground will be gained. God will be glorified. So Father, I just ask in your presence, everyone within the sound of my voice, Lord, that we would just receive an empowering from you right now. We would just receive, God, this, this, this strength, this, this covering, God. Let us, let us be exposed before you, God, so that we may be reminded of our equipping to take this community, to take our lives. Let us walk in unity together. Let us walk in unity within ourselves, Father. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.